And the funny thing is, you know, when I first started Growth Ninja, my mindset around it was so messed up. Like, I thought that it was going to be this short term thing that would just be this cash flow thing for my quote unquote real business that comes after it. And so I wasn't even taking it seriously for the first few months. I thought, sure, I'll just do this thing for a while before I figure out what I, I'm meant to be doing. Hey, hey, this is the Productize Podcast. My name is Brian Castle. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. I really appreciate it. And if you're enjoying these, these interviews, let me know. Let me know which ones actually you know you find the most interesting that you found the most helpful in your business. And maybe even if you took an idea or two and put it into action and you've seen some sort of results or, or it's made an impact, let me know. Shoot me an email. I'd really love to hear that kind of stuff. You know, these podcasts, they can be kind of isolating, believe it or not. You know, you put this stuff out there and onto the internet and who knows who's listening, right? <laughs> so uh, so today I'm talking to Vincent Wynn. He is the founder of Growth Ninja, growthninja.com. That's a Facebook ads as a service, Facebook ads kind of productized service. Um, really interesting story. This one is probably a little bit more technical, not so much the technical side of, of running Facebook ads, but more the technical side of running a service. I got a lot into the uh, the nitty gritty of how he how he works with clients, how he structured his service and the kind of unique pricing model for this sort of uh, service. So yeah, I really enjoyed this one. Here it is. Here's my conversation with Vincent Wynn from Growth Ninja. Enjoy. All right. Um, oh, you know what? How do you pronounce your last name? Win. Vincent Win, right? Yeah. All right. All right. Here we go. Opposite of lose, because all I do is win. That's usually the PK joke. Nice. There. There we go. All right. Here we go. All right. I'm here with Vincent Win. Vincent, how's it going? Good, man. How are you? Doing good. So you're from GrowthNinja.com. It's a uh, it's a great domain name, by the way. Thanks, man. Was it just available when you found it, or, or what? I think I had to bribe someone like 50 bucks. The same guy I think owns the Twitter handle too. And he hasn't uh, <laughs> ever gone back to me on that. I reached out to him like three years ago when I first started the company and got the domain <laughs> name. And he supposedly doesn't remember the Twitter name. I don't know. It's kind of frustrating, but no one's really on. So he gave you the domain name, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't give you the Twitter handle? <laughs> I think he's waiting until we're like a nine figure company and we just yeah. got to have that handle. You know, and we're going to pay him like 500,000 bucks or something. That's ridiculous. Cool. Well, so basically Growth Ninja is a Facebook ads done for you service. How, how do you kind of explain what is Growth Ninja? Yeah, the sort of one sentence go to I give people when someone says, you know, what is Growth Ninja or what makes Growth Ninja different from any other Facebook ads company is I say Growth Ninja is a performance based Facebook ads company. And from there, you know, usually people will ask, what does that mean? And what it basically means is our pricing model is completely performance based. And so we don't charge a retainer fee. We don't charge any side, any sort of a, a fixed monthly rate. Essentially, how we perform will dictate how much we charge in any given month. And what that means is every month is going to be a different amount, of course. For example, if we do a lead generation campaign for you, we charge on a pay per lead basis. If we're doing like an e-commerce store, uh, we'll take percentage of revenue. So 
as you can see, every month is going to have different numbers, of course, meaning our pricing for you is going to be different as well. Yeah. Yeah, cool. So I do want to get a little bit into the pricing structure and the types of campaigns that you run and the types of clients that you work with. And we'll also hop back into the story a little bit. But how like how long have you been actually running uh, Growth Ninja at this point? So as of today, it's been three and a half years. Uh, January 2nd of 2015 was the official start date, uh, the day after New Year's. I don't want to be cliche and start on the first. So I settled and waited for the second one. And uh, yeah, it's been going going for a while now which is crazy because to me it still feels like it's in our first year for whatever reason it still feels very strange to be running a company it's my first company um and only and so you know time has flown and uh here we are yeah so can you give us like any sort of sense of size like how do you what do you kind of open about in terms of the size of the company yeah so back in i think middle of 2015 i brought on a uh a sort of a va type person she never actually did anything on the Facebook ad side of things, I was kind of gearing up to train her to do the things I was doing. Then I realized, you know, I don't really, I'm just never really comfortable with delegation and stuff like that. It's actually a uh, bit of a roadblock, I guess, sort of a, um, what do you call it? A barrier for me as an entrepreneur is that I, I just don't like giving up control and I like doing everything myself. Um, about maybe eight months ago or so, I'm kind of losing sense of the timeline here, but at some point in 2017, I did hire somebody on to do a lot of what i do wow so it's it's really like most of this time it's really just been you plus like one or two people helping you out yeah with the vast majority being just me like a little bit under a year ago i hired someone to come on board and she did great work but then after a while i realized that i just wasn't enjoying the, the management side of things you know i didn't like checking on someone else's work i also didn't like the idea of someone else doing the campaigns um as well so I actually did go back to being a one-man team just um, three months ago. Yeah, three months ago, went back to being a one-man team. And um, coincidentally, we just had our biggest month, like last month, even as the one-man team. So it didn't affect revenue at all. And things are still going great. Yeah, very cool. All right. So I, I definitely want to get into that because, you know, I, I talk to a lot of, you know, productized services and companies who do scale up their teams and they kind of optimize for that. But there's... Also, the other end of the spectrum is like optimizing to stay solo or stay very small, you know, maybe being more selective. So I, I kind of want to hear your thoughts around that. But, you know, before we uh, get too deep into the, into the story of everything, let's talk a little bit more about the pricing structure of how Growth Ninja works. Like how, how would it work for a client to come on board? Like are they, does the client pay for their own ad budget and, and how does Growth Ninja get paid and, and all that? Sure. So let's say, for example, you currently have an ad account running, you know, you have a payment method in there, you got campaigns going, all that stuff. So I'll just kind of quickly paint the picture of what it looks like to come on as a new client. So I send you over the next steps list, you know, here's what I need access to your ad account and things like that. And then what I do is I set up my campaigns in the ad account that you've already created. So you have full control, uh, your payment methods in there. So anytime Facebook bills for ad spend, it does come from your account. Uh, so just to make it clear, the ad spend of my clients always come uh, separate from the growth ninja fees. The ad spend goes straight to Facebook. We don't see a penny of that. And then we, at the end of the, or sorry, the start of every month, we look at the previous month's results and just do the math from there and figure out how much do we invoice this particular client for this month. Okay. And, and what you say on the website is you guys basically earn 15% of, well, it looks like you... There are a few different ways that you do it. You, like one way is 15% of the revenue attributed to your ads, or you get paid per lead if you're doing lead generation. Is that right? 
Right. And what I always say is there's no double dipping. So some clients, for example, will do both lead gen and direct sales. So we don't charge, oh, hey, we charge you a dollar per lead. Plus, we charge, you know, 15% of revenue when they become a customer later. If we're running a lead gen campaign, we're only charging you for that individual as a lead. And we charge you the revenue when we're running the direct to sale campaign. So we're not going to charge you twice for the same individual. Uh, we're just going to charge you based off the objective of this specific campaign that's set right here. That makes sense. And then how do you distinct, like, how do you know, like, which clients should use which model? Well, it's just, you know, what are they doing right now? What works best for the business? So I will ask a business, okay, so tell me about your company. And they're going to talk about, here's what we're doing, uh, yada, yada, yada. Here's our funnel and stuff like that. Then I'll say, okay, so out of all these things, what makes you the most amount of money? And it's pretty obvious within the first, you know, few seconds because they'll say, oh, we drive traffic to the sales page here. If it's a sales page that asks for a purchase right away, then that's going to be a, you know, a revenue share type of model. If they're doing a webinar, if they're doing an email opt-in, an ebook giveaway, lead magnet, um, you know, the thousands of different names for these types of things, that's a lead, lead magnet sort of, uh, process. It's going to be a lead generation model. Right. And what I'm also reading here is, is that you're you're focused on companies who are ready to scale and who've already been using Facebook ads to a certain extent. They're just ready to amp that up. Is that right? Yeah, before it was a bit more open where it was like, okay, so your ads are kind of doing all right and you want us to take it over and manage it, maybe take it off your plate. And, you know, that's kind of it. Uh, nowadays, I'm just a bit more strict about who we bring on because... My philosophy is it's always like I want to make sure that I don't have people who use our service walk away and say, well, I hired Growth Ninja and, you know, they kind of suck. Like they did this and that and they lost money for me. Like, so I, it just sucks when you try your best at something and it just doesn't provide results. And it's even worse when you realize that, you know, you're using someone else's money. You know, they spent money and trust you to do these things for them. And so in order to minimize the, you know, the odds of me failing at my job, I want to make sure that they have all their ducks in a row before I do anything on my side. Because let's say, for example, you're a brand new company, you come to me and say, Vincent, I want to give Facebook ads a shot. I have no historical data, no sales data, nothing. I'm hoping this will be my way into that, you know, uh, passive income lifestyle or whatever it is after. Um, it's risky for me because I don't know Let's say, for example, I run the Facebook ads and things aren't working. I don't know. Is it the Facebook ads or is it the product itself? Is it the site? There's no historical data there. There's no other variables I can look at. Now, if you're an established company with AdWords, previous Facebook ads data, you got organic sales, you know, things are going great. You have a 4% conversion rate in your e-commerce store. Then I come in there and I, I can't, you know, make it profitable for you and I'm losing you money, then I know that there's something on my side to fix because the only different variable here is the Facebook ads. You know what I mean? So we try to, you know, look at it from a scientific perspective in a sense where we're making sure that we isolate as many variables as possible and make sure that, you know, I'm accountable for my side of things, you're accountable for your things. And then that way I can minimize the amount of, you know, well, hired Vincent, didn't work out. Uh, I guess it's time to move on. I want to make sure that all my clients who work with me previous past and future are happy with my services yeah you know i, I mean i, I kind of see the same thing with with audience ops in terms of like who our best 
clients tend to be is, is like they've done some content or they've been doing content for a while, but they're ready to kind of scale it up or just they're ready to like whoever was managing it before needs to focus on other things, but they want the content to keep going. But I'm curious about like in your case, like how do you actually identify who that most ideal client is? Because if they've been doing Facebook ads successfully, like why would they be ready to start outsourcing that if they already have someone or some system in place that's been managing it successfully? Yes, there's actually a lot of different reasons why. So let's start with one of the uh, more common reasons why that I hear from people who hire us. The first is, you know, times are finite resource, of course. Um, it is a lot of work. It's a full-time job. And if you're doing it in-house, you're kind of at the mercy of opportunity costs here. If you're spending you know, several hours per day worrying about Facebook ads, optimizing things, that's several hours per day where you're not pulling a lever on growing your business elsewhere. And so if you hire outwards, not even just to an agency, maybe even train somebody in person to take this off of your plate as a founder, you're opening up a lot of time to leverage your business in other ways. The other being Growth Ninja is specialized in scaling. And scaling is absolutely the most difficult part about Facebook ads. People always wonder why, hey, you know, doing great at 100 bucks per day, I added another zero. Now, how can we turn on ad spend? It went way down. That's actually one of like the sentences I like hearing on phone calls because a lot of our best customers have that issue where it's like, yeah, things are going great. But when I try to scale it up, things go to shit. It's because you can't just add another zero and expect things to go really well. There's a lot of really weird things that you have to do in the back end that don't sound intuitive at all. It's just part of the Facebook ads game. And scaling is something that I pride myself. Can Can you give me like... Uh... Like maybe without getting too deep into the weeds, but maybe a little bit. Like, can you give me an example of what one of those things are? Like, here's, I'm probably wrong about this, but my assumption would be, okay, if you've been spending a couple hundred bucks a day, that's not going to work at a thousand bucks a day or more because maybe you tapped out the target audience for the ads that were working and you need to start exploring other audiences. Or like, what are some of those things that make it more complicated and more time consuming once you start adding zeros? Yeah, so let's just go into that example right there where you talk about audience size and targeting. So a lot of people will see the, you know, the amount of tools that Facebook provides advertisers and say, all right, I got to make use of all of this because it's so amazing. It's, I could target down to the T. So I'm going to add this interest. And then they also have to like these things and this thing. And then they also got to be between the age of 25 and 34. And, you know, and so they do all these things to really limit their audience because they think if they get really granular and specific, magic's going to happen. But the weird thing is, a lot of times that just doesn't work, especially at scale. It might work at a low budget because, you know, it is pretty targeted. But once you start hitting like thousands of dollars per day and spend, like it just doesn't cut it. That audience gets hit over and over again on a daily basis, multiple times. And so a big mistake that people make as a Facebook advertiser is going too narrow with their targeting. I personally try to avoid targeting any ad set, ad set being an audience that's under 1 million people. Because at that point, once you're scaling, that audience just disappears quickly. So if you're already under a million, you're going to want to add a, a few more things on top of that to get that interest up a little bit higher. Um, and then there's another thing, Let's oh, just to as a little disclaimer, I always say that with Facebook ads, there is no absolute answers. If you ask 12 other advertisers, you're probably going to 12 different answers. And Yeah. N not to mention all 12 different industries and different types of products and different audiences. And yeah, you need different messages, different things. And those 12 advertisers calling the other 11 idiots or whatever, right? Because they disagree. I, I always say 
just, you know, take in as much advice as you can and then test it and see what actually works for you. With that said, what I find is that, you know, one of the more counterintuitive examples of how crazy scaling could be is, let's say, for example, you hit upon this winning combination, this audience, 2 million people, you know, it's going great. You have this ad that's doing fantastic. And then it dies. Um, usually people's first instinct is to turn it off forever and consider it dead. You know, they bury it in the grave and rest in peace. It was great while it lasted. The weird thing is sometimes these ad sets just perform differently on a day-to-day basis. There will literally be jumps where, let's say you have 10 different ad sets that are all different from each other. Five of them might do really well one day. The other five are just terrible and your first instinct might be to turn them off. But then the next day, if you had left it open, the next five might be doing great and the previous five are doing terrible. You know, it just kind of, it's this weird thing where every day Facebook kind of chooses, all right, here's the bucket that I'm going to send these ads to. And sometimes it just hits the right bucket all the time. And then other days it won't do so well. So something that... How, how could you even optimize for that? Like, <laughs> like you're kind of at the mercy of Facebook's, you know, mysterious whims there. In some ways... It is. I mean, advertisers will pretend like they have the magic answer and say, this is really what's happening. But in reality, it's like, you've just got to know when to be a bit more patient with turning things off. You know what I mean? Once you do it long enough, you sort of, you sort of understand that it is kind of a waiting game and it's about returns in the long run. Cause there will be days where your return on the ad spend is a bit less than ideal. Then there will be other days where things are going great. But then in the long run, you should be up ahead as long as you're looking at things closely. It's sort of like poker, I guess, where you gotta know when a when a hold on know when a phone and whatever that old uh, that old song is. Yeah. But yeah, there is a lot of intricacies when it comes to scaling. And so it's not as simple as adding another zero. It's not as simple as, all right, cool, let's just keep on duplicating these things over and over again until we're at the spend we want it to be. And so there's a lot of different things you gotta look out for when you're actually scaling on the back end. So aside from um in terms of your target customers, your best customers Aside from their relative size and, and their previous history with, with running Facebook ads successfully and they're ready to scale, what else do you look for in an ideal client? Like, are you working with a certain type of clients? Like you're working with e-commerce or SaaS or, or do you do a variety? Like, what does that look like? So most these days are e-commerce and um, the niche kind of varies all over the place. I mean, we have some in apparel, we have some that are like in the personal development space. Some are selling makeup, some are selling fitness programs, some are selling, you know, footwear. It's kind of all over. And uh, there's no one industry that that I like to focus on. But the commonality is is that they're all selling volume of like a variety of products. It's not like they're selling one software product on a subscription. So not everybody has multiple products. In fact, our biggest client sells only one product. It's a digital product. And it's actually one of our biggest challenges because they're super anti-marketing and they're very protective of the brand and they don't want to be seen as, you know, the guys that run marketing all the time. And so they actually only have one product and it's only $20. There's no upsells. There's no abandoned cart even. There's, there's nothing. So we got to make that sale count on the first impression, the first click, and get them convert into a $20 purchase. Uh, it's definitely a lot easier when you're working with e-commerce products with uh, with more products. Not always. I mean, sometimes that proves to be a challenge. For example, if you're doing a drop shipping store, which requires almost constant product testing. 
But yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. What are the similarities between all these? Um, I would say the commonality is at some point they ran Facebook ads at some sort of, not even a large scale, but at some sort of level and saw returns and they needed somebody to get better returns. So that's the other reason why people bring us on is not only are we trying to get them to scale consistently, but the hope is that we also get higher return on ad spend as well because we're doing things that they're not doing. You know, they're not doing Facebook ads all day, every day as a full-time job. Meanwhile, you know, I personally am. So, you know, the other big thing that I'm really wondering about, I, I mean, I feel like I've been trying to understand this for years and I never really had a good understanding of it is like the actual strategy to use when running Facebook ads. And I've, I've tried all different combinations of this. So, I mean, I guess I'm curious about like, you know, what the actual funnels look like, what the content to the ad, to the retargeting, like, like how do you put all those pieces together? That's kind of number one. This is like a two-part question. Like one is like, what are the like, kind of your go-to strategies these days when it comes to Facebook ads? But number two, you're doing this as a service for clients. So how, how do you scale your strategies across your client base, right? Like, are you doing different strategies for all different clients or are you trying to apply a similar strategy kind of as a template across your client base? Yeah, can you speak to that a bit? They're all fairly different because some of them give me more restrictions than others. For example, the personal development client I told you about, there are only certain times where we're allowed to target warm traffic because again, they're trying to avoid that that uh, perception of them being too markety. And to do that, we have to exclude people who've already seen the ads and things like that. Um, but let's say, for example, we're setting up an e-commerce store and they don't have that big of a, of a flow for current traffic. So if they don't get that much traffic right now, you can't really scale to the thousands per day on warm traffic because there's just not enough people. And so my first priority is always to make cold traffic work as well as possible. For some reason, people always say, oh, Facebook ads, cold traffic just doesn't work. You've got to hit them on the repeat sales and stuff like that. Um, I don't know, because if that's the truth, then we should have gone out of business years ago because the vast majority of our sales come from cold traffic. Really? So, I mean, when you say cold traffic, yeah, I mean, for those who don't work with Facebook ads every day, you're talking about like the first ad shown to a, a complete stranger who has never visited the website before, never seen the brand before. Right. So warm traffic would be someone who's visited your site, maybe even bought a product, maybe like your Facebook page, it's on your email list. Uh, it's not their first time hearing about you, first time seeing your site. They have an idea of who you are. While cold traffic, it's like, oh, this looks interesting. What is this? I want to learn a bit more. And the reason why I say cold traffic is first priority. Yeah, it's like the cold, cold traffic. I mean, that's kind of the big nut to crack, right? Like, what do you show to a complete stranger is it like, hey, this product exists, you should come check it out and maybe buy it? Or is it a lead magnet? Like, hey, here's some free educational content to get you into a funnel who, and then later show you the product. Like, what do you do with cold traffic typically? So most of our clients, we get cold traffic straight to the sale. So e-commerce, we send them straight to the product page. Um, and so that's another reason why I look so closely at historical data, because I want to see, is there potential for cold traffic? Because that, since that's where the most scale is, I want to make sure that that's even viable. Because cold traffic does eventually become warm traffic anyway, right? You send them to the site, they're going to sign up for stuff, they're going to click around, they become warm traffic. If you only do warm traffic, like how are you going to scale unless you're getting hundreds and thousands per month in visitors or millions per month? You're going to run out eventually, very quickly, actually, when you're spending thousands per day. And so you got to make cold traffic a part of the strategy. Now, some people get cute with it and create these funnels where like, okay, we'll, we'll first retarget clicks to an article and then warm them up a couple more times with videos. And then, whew, after all that, 
send them to a product page. I always say, let's keep it simple. Let's test the product page first. If that doesn't work, then we get a little cute with it. But let's just test the simplest part first. And it often works. But I'm not going to say that's that's always the case. It definitely is difficult. The reason why it works for me is because, again, I'm so careful to what I bring on board. I check for viability first. And so if I don't feel comfortable, I mean, I turn down clients like crazy because I want to make sure that they're the right fit for me and I'm the right fit for them. So if they don't have the data yet, I say, here's my advice. Here's what you should do, in my opinion. Uh, do it for a month, maybe two. Spend a couple of thousand dollars if you can and get some data. If it works out well for you, hit me up. Let me take a look at the data. Give it a nice live audit with you on the on the phone or on Skype, rather. And we'll look to see if there's any potential for scale here. And, you know, I that's my kind of polite way to reject them in the current time if they don't have any data. You because know, if they don't have any data and I run cold traffic, I just don't know if it's going to work or not. And I definitely don't want to spend the harder than money if I'm just so unsure about it, you know? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. So uh, how about like B2C versus B2B? This is something that I've also kind of struggled to get my, my head around. Again, this gets back to like, all right, what should that funnel look like? Should you kind of educate the audience first and really warm them up or show them the, the pro like? How do B2C audiences differ from B2B audiences when it comes to Facebook ads? Or are you more focused on working with companies who are B2C? Yeah, I wish I was more qualified to speak on the B2B part. But unfortunately, we don't work with B2B companies, uh, exclusively B2C. So I can't, there's like no experience that I could draw from there to talk for the B2B crowd. All right. Interesting. Um, is, is that a comment generally with Facebook ads these days? Like 2018? I mean... I, I hate blanket statements. I hate like, okay, you should never look at Facebook or things like that. But should B2B companies kind of think twice about investing in, in Facebook ads if they haven't really gone down that channel? Uh, that's tough, man, because I'm sure there are people out there crushing with B2B. I could tell you the reason why I don't personally take on B2B, though. It's a very personal choice. It's not because, you know, oh, they're hard to work with and like that. The reason is I look at it from, a, okay, how much would this benefit me, right? Because it's got a when I, when I set the the cost per lead number, for example, it's got to make sense for the client and for me, for them being, it doesn't cut into the margins once they do the math on conversion rates. And for me, I've got to figure out, okay, what's the expected revenue that I get from the client at the end of the month? It's got to be worth it for me on that side. And so for B2B, generally speaking, it's going to be less of a volume game, right, than B2C. And so in order to make B2B work for me, it's probably got to be a really high cost per lead that I charge as growth ninja to the client. And it's also got to be a number that works for them, right? Once they crunch the numbers. And so it just becomes this thing that not only do I not have experience in that realm, but mathematically, it's just it's a lot more of a headache than just bringing on another B2C client. And so that's kind of why I chose not to go the B2B route. Now, I will say that I know other advertisers also actually who have difficulty with B2B, but I can't, you know, I definitely can't sit here and say, you know, here's why I think B2B is or isn't for Facebook ads. But I think the common consensus is that it is definitely a lot tougher on Facebook ads than it is for B2C companies. Yeah, I, I could see that. And, and I mean, from your standpoint, as like a client service provider, and you're getting paid based on attributed sales to your ads or to your work on the ads, like that heavily also depends on on their sales process, like their ability to close leads and, and nurture and follow up and that kind of stuff. Interesting. Yeah, one, one question I always ask lead generation clients, for example, is do you know your expected revenue per lead, right? And that kind of accounts for a little bit of everything. They should be tracking all of that stuff. They should know, all right, if I get 100 leads, how many of these guys close? Uh, what's my LTV, my lifetime value per customer? 
and they do the math there and they say, here's my expected revenue per lead. Then I look at their campaigns and say, okay, cool. So how much are you paying right now per lead? Uh, is it profitable? Is it not? And then, you know, I use both those numbers to figure out what can Growth Ninja charge where it makes sense for both parties, where it doesn't cut into the margins too much. And also it makes enough for us to make it worth it to keep going. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the story. You know, I don't really want to get into the whole backstory. I heard you a couple of times on, on Tropical MBA podcast, which is great, great pod if you haven't heard of it. Um, you've been on there a few times kind of talking about the backstory. But yeah, like, can you tell me a little bit about like how you actually launched Growth Ninja? What, what did the very early days look like? How'd you get your very first clients? Yeah, so it was very similar to how I got my first location independent job, actually. Back in 2013, I was a full-time college student, and I was trying to apply for a job at a company called Empire Flippers. And so to get that job, I reached out to a bunch of people who I didn't know, um, a lot of influencers. And I basically asked them to record a short 10-second video for me. And then I stitched them all together to create this video saying, hey, look at all these people I reached out to who I didn't even know. Um, and they did this thing for me. And so... Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> wait, can, can you explain that a little bit? I, that kind of... How did that all work? Like, what, what was on... Who did you ask for the video? What was on the video? Um, so off the top of my head, I got Neil Patel in the video, for example. Oh, actually, I should tell that story about Neil Patel and how that led to Growth Ninja right after I tell this story. Okay. But Neil Patel was in there. Um, Rand Fishkin from Moz was in there. Michael Hyatt was in there. Just a bunch of people who I basically emailed and said, look, you don't know who I am. Um, I obviously know who you are, but basically with like 10 seconds, you could quite literally change my life. It was like this really genuine email where, where I wasn't like, Oh, if you do this thing for me, I promise I'll do this thing for you. It was like, look, I'm a 19 year old kid at the time. I was 19 year old, 19 or 18. Um, I'm this kid who's just out of high school. I truthfully, I don't have anything to offer Neil Patel. I can't do anything for you, but like if you do this 10 second video for me, it could quite literally change my life. Here's this opportunity I'm gunning for. Just you don't have to vouch for me. You don't wait. The the opportunity you were gunning for was to work at, at Empire Flippers. Like did, like that was a job opening that you saw was available, and, and that was like your target. Right. And the reason I made this video is because they wanted a a five minute video talking about yourself. And so I was like, oh, I'm this 19 year old kid. How the hell am I going to talk about myself? I have no experience. So I did this to sort of stand out from the crowd. And you just asked like Neil Neil Patel and Michael Hyatt and and everyone like, can you just give me like a 10 second testimonial, even though you've never heard of me? Not even a testimonial. I just emailed them saying like, just make a video saying I reached out and like show that I have balls or something to do something risky. And so that's exactly what they did. They said, hey, Vincent reached out and connected, yada, yada, yada. And I stitched these videos together. And then I uh, <laughs> fortunately got the job, which quite literally changed my life. And um, fast forward to when I wanted to start my own company, I hit up Neil because he was in town the same time I was in San Diego um, while I was in Orange County. So I just drove down there um, with a couple of um, well, sorry, I drove down there to meet up with a couple of friends for dinner and invited Neil. And I'm like, I want to start my own company, don't know what to do. And then one of my friends suggested um, Facebook ads. And then it was a mutual friend of me and Neil who suggested performance-based pricing. And so I just kind of married those two ideals together. And I'm like, oh, shit, well, let's do performance-based pricing Facebook ads. And so it all kind of came together in this weird way where because of Empire Flippers, I had the experience to start Growth Ninja. But also because I was trying to gun for the growth uh, empire flippers position, I knew Neil as a friend and he came out for dinner and then I got the idea for the business. So I always say that I'm in this position because I was lucky in a lot of different ways and people always think I'm being modest and not giving myself credit. But like quite literally, if you listen to the story, a lot of it does come down to luck in some way. Uh, you know what I mean? 
to be honest, I think you literally made your own luck there. I mean, you, you reached out, you came out with this really unique idea to put, to stitch the videos together and, and all that, you know, yeah, sure. You can call that luck, but you still made that happen. Right. Right. I think, I think that's the lesson to take away here. I think of it like, you know, what if Neil didn't come to dinner? What, would I be doing Facebook ads or would I be doing Twitter ads or, you know, that kind of thing? Well, actually that I'm, I'm curious about, like in your work for Empire Flippers, and for those who don't know, Empire Flippers is kind of like a website brokerage company for buying and selling companies. Right. What kind of work were you doing for them? Like, were you doing Facebook ads there? Yeah. So I was, I was sort of experimenting with a lot of different stuff. It was like... A little bit of everything. Um, oh, for example, one of my biggest priorities was trying to figure out how to increase the email list, right? So content marketing was big on there, a lot of guest posting, um, Facebook ads, obviously, to get opt-ins and stuff like that. And so the reason why my friend suggested Facebook ads is because he was, he said, essentially, um, I think this might be verbatim, actually. He's like, why don't you do Facebook ads, you know? You're doing Facebook ads already for Empire Flippers, and I need Facebook help. I know people who need Facebook ads help. You know, there's clearly a market for it. And I'll be honest, at first, I kind of dismissed it, thought it sounded stupid. Like, why would people pay me for Facebook ads or whatever? Um, but then I thought about it. And then that's when the mutual friend said performance-based pricing. And when I thought about them two together, I was like, huh, actually, it's not a bad idea. You know, I could start out with that. And the funny thing is, you know, when I first started Growth Ninja, my mindset around it was so messed up. Like, I thought that it was going to be this short-term thing that would just be this cash flow thing for my quote-unquote real business that comes after it. <laughs> and so I wasn't even taking it seriously for the first few months. I thought, sure, I'll just do this thing for a while before I figure out what I, I'm meant to be doing. I'm always fascinated with that transition, like that point of transition there. Like, So you're, you're basically employed. That was like a remote position, right, with Empire Flippers? Or you were like in their office? It was technically remote, but I was living in the Philippines with Justin and Joe, actually, for the first year that I was there. And I was only with them for a year. So essentially, the whole entire time I was with them, I was living in the same area as they were, too. And at some point in Justin's house, too, I stayed in the spare bedroom. Oh, very cool. So we would go downstairs to just work together and co-work every day. Nice. So, but I mean, like, at this point, you're like, okay, I'm ready to start my own thing Um in terms of like runway to do that, like were you kind of starting up Growth Ninja on the side, like, you know, quote unquote nights and weekends? Obviously, I'm sure your, your schedule is more flexible than that. But like, were you doing both, like still working for Empire Flippers? Or did you have a, a day that you were done with Empire Flippers and this had to start? Or like, what did that look like? So Justin and I actually had a, sorry, for context, uh, Justin is one of my previous bosses at Empire Flippers, one of the co-founders. Uh, so right before I left Southeast Asia, you know, we were catching up and stuff because it's my last night in town and stuff. And it's been a year, so we've gotten quite close. We still are quite close, actually. And he kind of joked with me, like, all right, buddy, heading back to the U.S. You're going to gonna ditch us to do your own thing now? Like, he was kind of joking um, and also, I think, half feeling me out, too, because he was kind of afraid. And at that time, I wasn't really sure. I was kind of thinking about it, but I didn't have any ideas of what I would actually do. And so I told him, like, you know, now that you bring it up, I am thinking about you know doing my own thing just don't know what it is going to be and so the good friend he is he suggested that i stay on board of course so that i don't cut off my only income source and i could work on growth ninja on the side and you know great idea right uh, but the only issue is i know myself i can't dedicate myself to side projects i gotta be like you know one and only otherwise you know it's not going to happen 
And so I said, you know, if I do want to start my own thing, unfortunately, I will have to leave the company. I can't make it do the side thing. It's just not going to work that way. So he said, all right, buddy, well, you know, take your time. Don't rush into it. Obviously, you know, Joe and I are always there for you, but you should take your time to think about it. And so I think that was uh, maybe November had a conversation and the dinner with Neil and them where I had the idea for Growth Ninja or rather they had the idea and I went and ran with it, um, was in December, middle December. So around that time was when I gave them, you know, the heads up and said, you know, I, I'm going to do my own thing. And then I helped them transition. And then uh, shortly after New Year's, that's when I started Growth Ninja. Very nice. And so like, did you think of this as like, because you said, you said like, like this was kind of intended to be like a short term thing until you get to your quote unquote real business. But did you think of Growth Ninja as just like a the way that you're branding yourself as a freelancer or did you from the very beginning think of it as a company oh i thought about it as a company from day one i just knew that that's a much more powerful angle yeah with a lot more credibility than like hey i'm vincent the freelancer i've always positioned it as like hey i'm vincent with growth ninja and uh, to get back to your question from earlier um you asked me you know what were those early days like getting my first clients things like that and that's when i got into the background for the emailing for the uh, Empire Flippers video. You know, thanks to that experience, it gave me a lot of confidence in cold emailing. It wasn't something that I even knew how to do at first, not really. And so that gave me a lot of confidence. And also, luckily, in my Empire Flippers role, it was a fairly, I don't want to say high publicity, but I guess in some way, that position was kind of highly marketed because it was like, I don't know, for some reason, it, it was just something people talked about a lot that specific position. And so I already knew a pretty good amount of people thanks to my time there. And so I reached out to a bunch of people that I knew, um, including my former employers, and I asked, you know, I'm doing this thing with Facebook ads, you want to come on. And so the guy who gave me the idea for Growth Ninja came on as my first client and first invoice, I believe. And Empire Flippers came on as my clients as well. And then, you know, I just built it up from there by just emailing people I knew and then slowly emailing people I didn't know but by, of course, calling back, mentioning people I've already worked with, you know, providing social proof. And then from there, it basically became this thing that gets, um, excuse me, that gets constant uh, lead flow by itself organically through word of mouth. And so now I pretty much do like zero code emailing or anything like that. Uh, most of it's referral based. And, um, and that's basically sustained like for these three and a half years, just, you know, you're not really doing much active marketing. Right. And that's the way I like it. I like doing Facebook ads and emailing people to come on board isn't part of doing Facebook ads, even though it leads to more Facebook ads. Yeah. But I don't like doing things I don't like. So I'm very fortunate to be in this position where, you know, Growth Ninja has become this brand that people trust and actively refer to. So I could basically just take these leads, screen them, figure out if they're a good fit. And if they are, plug them into, um, growth ninja and just do what I like doing, you know? So what does that actually look like? Like doing what you like doing, right? So we talked earlier about how you're basically a solo, you know, running this, this whole business solo. Um, that literally means like managing the client accounts and running the Facebook campaigns and optimizing them. Right. And, and then invoicing. And, and I'm actually kind of curious about that too, because it sounds kind of like a technical process to figure out how much to charge each month. But, um, yeah, like what, what does the day to day look like? as a solo operator here? Yeah, so it's pretty easy because uh, I write everything down, what I need to do and stuff like that. But as for the daily constant things that are always going to happen, um, is I have a bookmarked folder called Today. In fact, I'm looking at it right now. 
Um, it's just sort of my almost like my home screen essentially. And in that folder are all active clients. And so if I click on that folder, holding down the command button and then click on it, it's going to open all the currently active campaigns. And from there, what I look for is okay, what are the numbers telling me? And it basically tells me is it time to scale these things? Is it time to to lower spend? Or does this need more time? And so I look at everything across all active campaigns on all active clients and, and figure and put them in those three buckets, right? So you like open them all up in different tabs and like you kind of go like one by one to see what the current status of each active client is. Right. From client A to client B to client C and so on and so forth. So I say, okay, um, look at the data. Do I scale? Do I not? Or do I wait? And I just, you know, depending on what needs to be done that day, will dictate how busy I am. So some days I'll need to do a lot of different things. Um, and some days that'll be a good thing. Some days will be a bad thing. Like some days where things are broken, and I need to fix a lot of things. But there are also days where I'm working double digit work days because things are going so well that I need to spend as much as physically possible. Those days are quite fun, although they're incredibly stressful as well. Uh, some days I don't really have to do too much of anything. And some days I just need to do a little bit. You know, Is most of your work on the Facebook ads like how much of it is data analysis and, and working with settings and, and things inside the Facebook ads interface and how much is actually creative work, like creating ads, writing ad copy, thinking about landing pages on the client's site, thinking about what the opt-in thing is or what, what the checkout page looks like. Yeah. Like how do you kind of balance that kind of work? So from day one, or actually not even from day one, because day one I actually try to do a little bit more of everything. Um, I think somewhere in year two, possibly, I started to realize that my expertise wasn't in everything, right? Landing pages is not something that I wanted to take on um, because I thought about it. Who am I working with? People who kind of already have their stuff together. Chances are they've got good landing pages and a team for that. So I thought, why would I want to take on that responsibility when they've got that covered? And so now I set the expectations of, you know, my responsibilities and after they leave Facebook as far as optimizing goes. And so I don't worry about the landing page too much. I only take responsibility for the Facebook ads, which means audience targeting, ad copy, and stuff like that. Um, as far as day-to-day, how much time is spent on things like ad copy, again, that really varies. Like, are things needed to be changed up today, or did we do that already and we still need more time to gather data? Like, would it make sense to add in more ad copy? Because if I do that and I have a limited budget, that means I would have to turn something off in order to make room for that new daily spend, right? That ad copy. Right. And so every day is a bit different. And so there is no clear, you know, here's how it looks every single day. But the only constant is I check everything every single day. And every day is going to be a bit different as far as the workload goes and what actually needs to be done. Do you give the clients like tasks to do? Like, okay, hey, like this campaign needs, like, let's say you're, running some sort of ad copy, like a headline on the ad, like, do you tell the client, like, hey, the landing page needs to reflect this copy, things like that? I usually try to make my ad copy reflect theirs, actually. Oh, okay. Huh. So, like, even even after you've worked for a long time, like, many months with a client, and kind of it's time to try out something new, like, to get all the different pieces from the, the landing page, the copy, the, I don't know, whether it's, like, branding or graphic design or, or videos or anything like that, like, you're never kind of relying on on the client delivering that stuff. Um, never relying. I do ask them for new creatives. Um, one of our biggest clients, I do try to urge them to create different offers and specials because for them, I see that that's like the biggest lever. For example, last June we were spending over twenty thousand dollars every single day 
with them. The last day of June, we spent like a hundred and something thousand, I think. And oh no, actually, we spent I think sixty something thousand, and we made some six figure amount for them in revenue. And the reason why is because for them, deadlines are so crazy effective. I mean, like just putting a deadline in general and then removing that deadline, same offer, the return on ad spend drops way down. And so when I can convince them to actually put a deadline on something, return on ad spend goes way up. Now, the issue is they don't want to create false scarcity. And so they don't, they're not very comfortable with that. So that's an example of me having to like convince them to do something on their side. But you've got to sort of be careful when you're trying to push someone past what's comfortable with their own business because, you know, it's their identity, it's their brand. And so my job there is not to always push and be like, look, I'm going to make you so much money to do just this, this and that. I got to remember the person behind the computer as well and, and realize like for a lot of these people, it's not just about the money. You know what I mean? It's, it's about creating value as well. Yep. And money is just a nice side effect of that. So. I try to stay in my lane essentially, and my lane for most of these guys is the Facebook ad side of things. And a lot of them don't really want or need me to provide too much guidance outside of Facebook ads because, in some ways, that could be kind of stepping out of bounds, I guess. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. And, and, you know, as we kind of start to wrap up here, I guess I'm still kind of curious about the, um, like the logistics of how you actually get paid, right? Because, um, I guess most, most uh, Facebook ad agencies do like a percentage of the ad spend or they have like a flat monthly retainer. Right. You were saying that you, you look back at the previous month and you kind of calculate your earnings and then you just kind of invoice them for that amount and that's kind of totally different from month to month? Right. So let's say I made you 100000 last month in revenue and I'm charging you 15%. And so if I pulled up you know, June 1st through June 30th, 2018, I would see that you know, we generated 100,000 for you. So I would just multiply that, take 15%. I would open up FreshBooks and um, send this invoice to you that says, here's how many sales that were made last month. Um, the revenue that, that came from that is this. Here's how much you spent to acquire that. And here's how much you owe growth engine, you know? Got it. And so I just plug in the numbers there and then I send you the invoice. Do you ever have like issues with attribution? I mean, I guess if these, especially in, in like e-commerce, they kind of have that dialed in probably by the time that they start working with you because they've been doing Facebook ads. Right. But I know that's a, just a common challenge uh, across the board is like, okay, they saw an ad and then they, they bought, but maybe they didn't click it or they saw an ad and they came back six times and like which thing was actually responsible for the sale. Like, do you ever deal with that sort of, those sort of questions? Yeah. So I simplify it. By default, Facebook ads show you view through conversions and click through conversions. And so view through conversions are you saw the ad on your newsfeed, but you didn't click and then you bought. That's common. Like, let's say, for example, you have a, uh, a let's say, go crazy. Let's say you have a 250,000 large email list, right? That's a lot of people. So you send an email blast for a July 4th sale. And then I run Facebook ads to warm traffic and cold traffic for July 4th. Chances are a lot of these people are going to see these ads but not buy because they're going to buy through your email blast. It's, it wasn't my ad that convinced them to buy. But Facebook's going to say, hey, you know, I took credit for that. I showed them the ad. Um, but in my mind, it's like, not really. You know, you have a big list. They probably would have bought whether or not they saw my ad. I'm not going to buy that. Oh, uh, you know, psychologically, subconsciously, they saw the ad and then purchased. Like, no, screw that. I'm going to make it simple for my clients. I only charge based off of click-through conversions. So people actually click the ad and then purchase you know that's that's hard data right there there's no subconscious nonsense that i have to go explain away 
and justify my cost. Yeah. Uh, it just makes it that much easier. And so if you want to do that, if you're running Facebook ads and you want to figure that out, um, I think if you just Google, you know, Facebook ads, click through attribution, there should be some sort of guide that'll walk you through how to do it. But just a quick rundown, you just go to customize columns and on the bottom right, you'll see what I mean. Click save and uh, it'll appear. But if you do need help with that, feel free to shoot me an email at uh, vincentgrowthninja.com and I can send you over a written uh, email plus maybe a screen share or something just to make sure that you get it. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So, you know, like as we kind of wrap up here, like we're, we're in the middle of uh, 2018. What do we need to be thinking about when it comes to Facebook, you know, paid traffic on Facebook? I All we ever hear about is like, you know, these ad costs keep going up and up and up and um, it's just more and more competitive kind of across the board. What are you seeing right now in 2018 heading into 2019 when it comes to Facebook? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's no denying the CPMs cost per thousand impressions are going up year over year. But I think my advice, it's going to be, you know, don't panic. It's been on seemingly apocalypse mode since I started this thing. People keep saying this piece of is dying and that, you know, you got to move on to different platforms because things are not going to work anymore next year. But I don't know, man, like growth ninjas revenues just keep on growing and I'm only doing better and better for my clients every year. So what I would say is like, don't, don't listen to people who keep saying like, Oh my God, the sky's falling. Run the basic stuff. See how well it does for you. And if it doesn't do well, look at the data, figure out what's wrong. Like, is it the conversion rates? If it's conversion rates, then figure out if you could target better audiences or if you could fix your landing page. If you're getting low click to rate, maybe there's something wrong with your ad copy or your creatives. You know what I mean? And hit up uh, a Facebook ads expert at agency and ask them if they could audit your ad account and see what might be happening. There's a lot of different things you could be doing to, to do well on the platform. I mean, video ads are doing really well right now for a lot of people, but it also does poorly for some people. So you could test. You Well, basically, you always got to be testing. That's the frustrating thing about Facebook ads is you sort of have to invest some money in the early stages to figure out what works or what doesn't work. Because, you know, it's a it's an ad platform. So you got to play with a little bit of money first. But, you know, relax. Man. There's a lot of things you can do. And uh, don't freak out. And if you feel like you can't invest that much capital into Facebook ads, then look into organic because you don't have to spend to be successful. I mean, it is kind of a risky investment for a lot of people who don't have that sort of capital. So, yep. Very cool. Well, yeah, this is uh, this is awesome, Vincent. Thanks for, you know, sharing so much detail here. This is always helpful. I know that there are a lot of folks out there who are looking for, you know, looking to, to kind of systematize and scale scale their business. But even if they they intend to stay solo, um, to really find that focus the way that you, that you have. So this is very helpful. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, of course, the site, again, is growthninja.com. Where else can people uh, connect with you? Uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, I'm on Facebook, but that's only my personal Facebook. So I got to hide that one away. <laughs> but if you want to follow me on Twitter, which I pretty much never use, it's uh, twitter.com slash self stairway. Awesome. Yeah, we'll get all this stuff linked up in the show notes. Thanks, Vincent. Thanks. And thanks for having me. All right, now before we wrap up, let me ask you, what'd you think of this one? Was it good? You learned something? Are there any other topics you'd like to hear me cover on this pod? Well, let me know. No, I mean, really, like, let me know. Hit reply on any of the emails that I sent you. I'll read every single one. I try to reply to everyone. What's that? Oh, you're not on my list yet. Okay, well, head over to my site, productizepodcast.com. You can get on my email newsletter that way. 
I'll send you, you know, new episodes and all the show notes, but I'll also send you my newsletter where I share all sorts of articles and other insights on entrepreneurship, building products, productized services, software, SaaS, and other cool stuff there. So yeah, check that out over at productizepodcast.com. And of course, if you have a minute, I'd really appreciate it if you could head over to iTunes, leave a five-star review, or at least just five stars. You don't even have to leave a review if you don't want to, but that would really go a long way to helping other folks like us find this podcast. So yeah, thanks a lot for tuning in. I'll talk to you on the next one. 